Hey everybody, Jeff Openshaw here. Before we get to the show, I just want to issue a brief apology. And before you think I'm going to apologize for ragging on Bakersfield, like Elder Oaks, I will not apologize. Uh, no, it's uh, as we recorded the episode this week, uh, when I got everything back to do some post-production, I realized I had the wrong microphone selected. So most of the episode, if it sounds like you're hearing me on the microphone of a webcam, it's because you are. Hopefully you won't care and it won't be that big of a deal, but it's the kind of thing that bugs me enough that I feel like I need to issue a warning and an apology because we try to produce a top-level show. That's really it. Let's move on with it. Knock, knock, guess who is knocking at your door? That's right, you know it's the morning for sure. Might be a GRF, it could be, maybe it's been around me. Hey everybody, thanks again for tuning in to This Week in Mormons. We appreciate you joining us every week where you can find this and other Mormon news at thisweekinmormons.com. And we hope you'll join us on social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those good places and interact with us, be a subscriber, follower, whatever you might call it. And of course, a call to arms, if you want to go to Zencaster, which is Zencaster, not Zencaster. We use Zencaster. If you want to go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash This Week in Mormons, you can pledge a buck a month and it helps us keep the lights on. And these lights aren't getting any cheaper because the government wants us to stop using halogen bulbs. Okay. <laughs> so for real, everybody, let's get serious about this. Yeah. The reason you should pledge to Patreon is the halogen bulbs. That's, that's the reason. Yeah. It's also that in my 400 watt computer tower. Anyway, folks, <laughs> the man laughing is the wonderful and always just incredibly delightful and kind Devin Thorpe. Nice to have you here, sir. It is such an honor to be with you again, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I love Devin. He is the nicest guy, and I do not deserve not, not true at all. Program. Not true at all. But it's it's I'm, so fun to be with you. Well, good to have you. Do you ever get mad, Devin? I mean, I know, you're, oh, yes. I know you've got a brand to maintain yes. here. I but, I am. It is it is really my life's challenge um, <laughs> that to to be nice, and I, I will admit I'm getting better at it. I'm really quite proud of getting better at it, but. I no, my nature is to be a real jerk. Um, and so I've been fighting that. I'll tell you the long story as quickly as I can. I got fired from a job like I quit a job like 25, 30 years ago. The boss said to me, I want to have a little exit interview with you. And, you know, I thought he was looking for feedback, as is the custom in an exit interview. No, he wanted to give me some feedback. And he said, Devin, you're kind of confrontational. And I thought to myself, like, hell, I am. And, and then uh, it occurred to me probably two years later, as I uh, reflected on it, uh, after using some harsh language to scold someone, uh, and that's putting it very politely, um, I thought, I wonder if my boss had a point. And as I began to ponder it, I said, okay, yeah, he does. And so I've spent the last 28 years or so trying to overcome my jerkness. And I make I'm I'm taking ground, taking ground, but I'm a jerk. Well, I think you are succeeding with applause. <laughs> well, you're very kind. Though. That was a story apropos of nothing. I apologize for wasting precious twim time. You're, I mean, yeah, but you've listened to the show enough. You know how we do this. <laughs> we waste a good ten to fifteen minutes in the beginning, accomplishing nothing. So don't worry. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. You're going to be fine. Uh, is everything going well there in Utah or whatever? How's uh, how is your mark on the world? Yeah, yeah, you know right it's uh, it's great. We're actually going to wind up the your mark on the world show after eight years. Uh, I'm recording oh, wow. my okay. final fifty episodes. Um, in fact, I've published about half of the final fifty. Uh, we will wrap up with episode number twelve hundred with New York Times columnist Nick Kristoff, who is for me, I love him. He's kind of a role model, a hero. 
and I convinced him to come on the show. I've already recorded the episode, but we'll re- we'll air that one as the last episode of the Your Mark on the World show, uh, probably wow. just before Christmas. Okay. Well, uh, Nick Kristoff is a great journalist. If people aren't familiar with him, and I love his Facebook feed. He's a delightful Facebooker. Yes. If you don't follow him on there, okay. he's. He's a very interesting fellow. He, he is. And awesome. one of the things I love about him, you know, super liberal guy like me, but he is. He's, one of the things I love about but, him. But he, super, sorry. he is really good, uh, I think, about calling liberals on their crap. Uh, Which yeah, is important. Yeah he, yeah, he is, I think, yeah. self-aware enough and aware enough of our own political weaknesses as liberals to, to call us on our own stuff when we deserve it. So I, I, that's one of the things I love about him. One of the things I love, too, I mean, when you look at people who are more liberal in the church, especially, but I guess in general, is um, it can be very easy to be liberal. It can be easy to be angry with anything. Mm-hmm. But I say, I guess especially is like I, I admire those of my friends who I know are more more liberal and Democrats and such who are even latter who are Latter-day Saints. But they don't have like I think there's a stereotype of sort of a combative um or either a combative or like a nonchalant demeanor, like when it comes to living the gospel and being nice. Like, it, it, does, that make, does this make sense? Like, I think there's yeah, a notion yeah. that the no, liberals I, in the church, especially, are are trying to stir up trouble and are of a certain personality type. So I love my friends who aren't that way at all. They're like, no, man, they're just like super nice people who love the gospel and see the weaknesses and arguments and are just trying to be nice, rational folks, like just kind Democrats, <laughs> Latter-day <laughs> yeah. Saints who aren't bad for that brand or anything. I mean, that's a, it's good to see yeah. balance in all things. I find. Yes. Yes. I, I agree. We all need to be more kind. Yeah. And, uh, and I think Nick does a pretty good job of being objective, uh, analytical, sometimes incisive, uh, but without being, personal uh, or rude or mean that's good um and it's also nice because a lot many journalists will not sit down for interviews themselves on principle and i'm glad that you were able to uh get an interview with him this is where i will call out one peggy fletcher stack who has gone on the record saying she does not do interviews she peggy. does not huh peggy why are you wasting your time we could bump the, we could twin bump the trip so hard. We That's could bump right. you all the way to a better website if it's even possible. <laughs> yeah, that poor website. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I love Peggy. I love Peggy, but uh, you're. I, and I've never asked Peggy to be on my show. You should. We don't really probably, talk about religion, but uh, so you should ask Peggy, and she can discuss her mark on the world. And and uh, and she, or she can tell me no, she doesn't do interviews. And then in the middle of the interview, I'll, I'll crash it. Like I'll show up physically. <laughs> And it'll be this gotcha moment. It'll be great. Yeah. It'll be killer for your ratings. Which yeah, is what, that's right. When you're, and you're clearly a ratings monger, Devin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So it's uh, been an exciting week in the world of Latter-day Saints. Last week, of course, we had conference. I think we still have a little bit of leftover conference stuff we might get into this week. Yeah. Um, but, of course, because it was conference, there was other news that, that was not conference-related that we did not discuss. Uh, because during conference, we just uh, talk about only conference. And so a lot's gone down this week. A great grab bag of many interesting, some seemingly random headlines. Uh, but man, between, I think, Devin, between the two of us, we've probably grabbed like 20 stories or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think it's we could closer not, to 30. We will, yeah. We could go on. We will not get on. Yeah. We will not get on all of them this week. Don't worry. We know you have lives, but there's been a lot of good stuff this week. So clearly the thing I should lead off with is that the president of Kiribati visited the church. I mean, that's the hard-hitting news you're all waiting to hear. <laughs> President Taneti Mamu, along with his wife and delegation, swung through Salt Lake City on their way back from the UN General Assembly and met up with President Nelson and President Oaks. Yeah, I, uh, it's relevant. Kiribati's about uh, one-fifth Latter-day Saint. I don't know what the activity rates are, but it's about one-fifth Latter-day Saint. And there actually are a number of stakes in Kiribati. It is a a surprisingly LDS country. place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, it's uh, the, the capital of Tarawa. Tarawa has uh, long been on our temple prediction lists ah, yes. uh, based on just how many stakes are on what's really a relatively small geographic area. So, yeah, so I'm I knew actually, you were all waiting to hear about Yeah, that. I'm working on a little, uh, I'm tangentially involved with a service project in Kitavas, uh, 
Oh. And uh, yeah, so it's cool. There is a great Utah slash Mormon connection to uh, Kitabosa. It's great to see their president come by for a visit. I love it. Yeah, I was just going to say we should spend 20 minutes discussing whether the pronunciation is Kiribati or Kitabas. But, um, oh, yeah. See, see, this is how uneducated I am. When you said Kitabas, I thought that was just like a town in the country. I didn't realize that you were pronouncing it the correct way. Is it spelled differently to be pronounced no, that way? No, it's it. And I don't understand. Uh, I think, I think grammarians, and we've got another grammar topic later in the show, but I think grammarians view this as, uh, as alternatives, legitimate alternatives. But I think, uh, there are some from Kitabas who, uh, have strong views about this. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, if you, polled, just- if you polled all the people in Kitabas, if they would agree on the pronunciation or the preferred punci- pun- uh, pronunciation or not. But anyway, that's enough, enough on that. Pronounce. Let's move on. How, well, you know, Google knows me. I started typing in how to pronounce it, auto-populated Kiribati. That's just weird. It does say the correct pronunciation is Kiribati. Kiribati. Does it? In the, in the Gilbertese language, which is their language. So... Everyone, this is why you've come here. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the the T-I is pronounced as a S in the language. So therefore, the correct pronunciation is Kiribus. Uh Yeah, or Kiribus. But anyway, I, I don't know. What do I know? Um, but, you know, that's a perfect segue into the, your article about the uh, <laughs> sacrament prayers. Oh, this God, is let's such an essential topic. I'm so glad you raised it. Uh, take, You're welcome. Explain your, your this and that. And which and who problem there. Okay, um, I'll get into it. And, and first of all, for anybody that might be listening for the first time, I will read my first couple of lines so you understand the tone I am attempting to use leading into a topic like this. I say, hey again, it is I, your favorite polemicist. Polemicist, I once brought to you the notion that the way you might be ending your talk or testimony is wrong, and today I come to you with the earth-shattering news that our sacramental prayers are grammatically incorrect. Um, anyway, I, uh, I'm not tearing down holy writ, as I make a point to say. And, and that's important to know. I mean, the scriptures have been modified over the years, both in English and in other languages, as we improve the grammar and the meaning. That's, that shouldn't wig you out. I mean, there was a time a couple of years ago, they updated the Book of Mormon to get rid of the phrase white and delightsome to talk about the Nephites, right? And that was far more than just a... Uh, oh, there's some comma or some grammatical disagreement. That was straight up like using different language so as not to be more offensive. So anyway, these sacrament prayers that come from our scriptures are by and large fine. You know, they haven't been updated much over the years. We swapped out the word wine uh, for water at some point, uh, which I, I, I should mention quickly. I found the sacramental prayers in American Sign Language on the church's website. And for some reason, those ones still say wine. I think like, we need to be going to the... Uh, ASL wards from now on, Jeff. I think that's what that means. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's going what on the party is wards? on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, in 2019, how how is that? A, I don't understand how that slipped through the cracks. So the main argument here, the, the blessing on the water is basically fine. But the prayer over the bread has one primary, if ultra picky error. Okay, it says near the end, and keep his commandments, which he has given them. You all know that. I think we've all, all heard that. So why is this an issue? Basically, we're dealing with a that which confusion. Confusion. We often use that and which interchangeably in our common speech, even though that's incorrect. However, these are the scriptures. And really what this is about is a conflict between two things uh, called non-defining clauses and defining clauses. And so the main argument is... The way it's written, it says, and keep his commandments, which he has given them. No comma anywhere in that phrase. And you basically can't do that in English. Basically. Um, If you don't want a comma, you could say, and keep his commandments that he has given them. But in so doing, then it becomes a defining clause. And what that means is um, saying that he has given them is essential to the meaning of the sentence. Right. And it implies that there would be commandments that he has not given them, which isn't true. I mean, every commandment we've received, of course. If they're his commandments, he's given them to us. Yeah. So so 
With that said, I don't think it would be appropriate to get rid of the word that because there's no comma, or to get rid of the word which because of no comma, and replace it with that. Because that doesn't quite, I don't think that's the intent. So we move on to a non-defining clause, the appropriate use of which. And in this case, I'm arguing that there should be a comma between commandments and which. And keep his commandments, comma, which he has given them, comma, that they may always have the spirit to be with them. You see, because it's a non-defining clause, the which he has given them adds some color to the phrasing, but it's not essential to the meaning of the sentence. Now, the problem is the way it's written does neither of those things, and therefore it is grammatically wrong. And it must be and it must I be fixed it is, or uh, we will burn the church to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it is a fascinating case. You are the only person to uh, ever uh, think this, even and I say that including my wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm glad you raised that. Uh, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> correcting the scriptures and making clear that you're wiser than everyone that, else. That was no, my, Jeff, my goal. With, that is a good that, I think that My goal good. with the piece was for most people to say, wow, you're smarter than Joseph Smith. That was the hope <laughs> in doing this. You know, I think in terms of grammar, most most ninth graders probably are, which is why he had scribes write virtually everything for him. That's a good. So, that's a good. Point. Uh, um, so it isn't saying much. How do you feel about my pickiness in this regard? I, I will say that, of course, scriptures can be a little more, you know, lyrical, even poetry like. And when you in situations like that, you know, common actual grammatical rules can go out the window. And I can understand someone saying this is written as the text was written in the 1830s. And I say that's mostly true. But at the same time, the Book of Mormon has been edited substantially since its first publication for clarity and grammar. So I don't know. Yeah, I I think you are right. Oh, good. I have sometimes wondered if there isn't a legitimate uh, omission of the comma in advance of the which. But. Um, I think the, I think the grammarians in the world would generally say that the comma goes before the witch. And so you're, you're right. We're either missing a comma. I think you're, you're right that we're missing a comma. I think we're missing a comma, not that we should change witch to that. That would would not be necessary. Uh, But you and I talked about this very briefly. The fact is that phrase doesn't add any clarity or meaning to the prayer. You could just strike, which he has given them because- all of, it's just entirely redundant. What's interesting is in the prayer on the blessing on the water, there's a correct usage of one of these non-defining clauses because we say that they may do it in remembrance of the blood of thy son, comma, which was shed for them. Mm-hmm. And there the comma yes. is used, yeah. which is the yeah. same idea. So Yeah. So, oh my gosh, the, the mayhem, the mayhem. Now, everyone is going to be distracted on Sunday. Uh huh. I'm sure everyone's going to be listening as that priest who's normally known for reading through the sacrament prayers with much heft and yeah. and not just blowing through it as a 16 year old might do. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be. It's going to rock Sundays. I mean, like I I do say at the end of the article, like, will correcting this lead to a better understanding of it? Probably not. Yeah. Is our experience taking the sacrament hurt right now because of this? No. Would correcting this make our experience better? No. But here we are. Yeah. But we did uh, use 10 minutes to talk about it during Twim Week. So there we go. So you're welcome, everybody. All right, Devin, maybe you could take us to some news that people actually care about. Hey, let's at this point, let's talk about something that people do care about a little bit. Anyone who's been on a mission and has bought a suit or his <laughs> yeah. sister equivalents there too have probably heard of Mr. Max, the the apparel store that is a chain here in Utah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the guy who ran it uh, used to do his own commercials, so he became quite famous. Uh, Matt Christensen is his yeah, name. Oh, he was, he was, uh, yeah, he was very famous in Utah. Yeah, quite famous in Utah because he was on TV all the time. And he was famous because he would wave his arms around when he was talking, and it was very distracting. And they tried every which way <laughs> to get him to get his hands out of the shot. Uh, and the, the closer in they would get on his face, you'd just see less frequently the hands popping into the shot. But um, he was also, uh, and this is not as well known, uh, he was also, I think the title was president of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir for, yes. I think, yes. 30 years, a very long, long time. Uh, he was a devout uh, Latter-day Saint, loved music, uh, 
and he passed away this week um, and truly, truly a loss. But, uh, you know, he lived a long uh, and wonderfully amazing life. So kudos to him and condolences to his family. But uh, he will be remembered. He He is such a such you know, he he left a great legacy. He left his mark oh, in the yeah. world. It, it's great to remember Mac Christensen. I uh, I did not really ever you know patron Mr. Mac very often. Uh, I, I mean, I was born and raised in California, so when it was MTC time, you know, I just bought suits down there. I do believe I ventured to the Mr. Mac Inn. I, I think it's the one in Orem prior to going to the MTC because my mission call demanded that I had those rubber shoe covers for rainy weather uh-huh. that's one of those things they tell you to bring yeah and like they don't they don't sell those in california that just doesn't exist yeah so, yeah so i picked them up there and i used them never, never. On my mission. <laughs> i don't think anyone did i remember yeah. at some point at some point i finally just said i gotta give up some space these are pointless yeah and i yeah. just dropped them in whatever apartment i was in before i took yeah. off somewhere else but thank you mr mac for having it yeah. talk. i appreciate it i have bought many a mr mac suit over the years many many uh and i, I are they good quality yeah I that's why i keep chance. going back is for the money you can't beat them they, they when i was young and this this is way before your time uh the suits the missionaries all bought and that I bought were all polyester in the early days of yeah, polyester, right? So you'd buy these 100% polyester suits. It basically, you could play basketball in them, throw them in the wash, and then wear them to go tracting. And because uh, they were almost indestructible, uh, but they were pretty horrid looking, Uh you know, compared to a nice wool suit. They don't sell those anymore, I don't think. It's been probably 15 years since they got rid of those. But anyway. They, well, let's they see. They might, I mean, they might still sell. I do appreciate Mr. Mack in that they sell to the general public, but they have an entire like missionary section. Yeah. They just straight up say, if you're a missionary buying clothes, don't even waste your time going anywhere else. Yeah. Let's see here. A lot of wool blend I'm seeing, and that's why these suits only cost $240. Yeah. Yes. Wool blend. Wool blend, everybody. In case you're not aware, basically means it's a little bit wool, and then it's forty percent wool and sixty percent yeah, polyester. Yeah. That's what a wool. So, is. so it used to be hundred percent polyester, but but those are going to yeah. be nearly indestructible suits. Great missionary suits, and they'll they're going to look fine. They're going to look fine. Did they breathe? I mean, that must have been. Where did, did I forget, where did you serve? Was it I was in Argentina. Yeah, so Argentina, you know, we had yes. really hot summers and unpleasantly cold yeah. winters. So we you know we'd wear thermals yeah. and overcoats in the winter. Uh, even though we didn't see snow, it was cold. So, well, goodbye, goodbye, Mister yep. Mac. Goodbye, Mister Mac. Bless your soul. Uh, the New York Times. The New York Times has actually run a couple of articles this week related to Latter Day Saints. We'll get to them. So, one of them, an opinion piece by Timoth- Timothy Egan, is called "Mormons to the Rescue?" Question mark. The reddest faith in America is also the one most skeptical of Donald Trump. First of all. I'm very tired of Latter-day Saint um, being labeled the reddest faith in America. <laughs> I get where the label comes from. I, I understand the way you can do the analysis and get there. But I firmly do not believe that based on both our theology and our culture. We do have a conservative culture. We do vote more reliably Republican than most blocks. But I think overall, as a faith, we are not nearly as conservative as evangelicals or Baptists. Yeah. Or other, yeah, you're, you're probably so, right. That's about just my that. two. Uh, but we are more consistently Republican, I think, than than they yes. are. And I don't understand that. I guess, I guess the reason that I'm I'm guessing is it's somewhat racial. There are a lot of evangelical Christians who are African Americans who are probably not voting in, in that Republican direction. But I may be I may be misreading. Probably how that. much we are. Well, I mean, for all our our diversity that we've grown to in the church we are still pretty white yeah. especially stateside and this article is about you know american yeah, Mormons. Yeah. so the article in case you've been reading the news there's a president <laughs> of the united states who's in some hot water here and there and there's one proud senator one willard mitt romney from utah yep who serves with mike lee who took orrin hatch's seat who in fits and starts has criticized the current administration uh, but ever since now that he's actually been in the Senate and seems to have some teeth, i.e. a vote, he has been much more outspoken. And now with the impeachment stuff going on, even more so. It remains to be seen what will happen. I mean, Jeff Flake 
you know, went off on Trump all the time, but he still voted the party line, you know, 90% oh, yeah, yeah. of the time. So who knows? Yeah, what Rom- don't Romney confuse will do. Romney with a, uh, with a Democrat. He's still all in on Republican policies, but he's got the integrity to say that what the president has done is wrong and wrong enough to be worthy of investigation. Um, yeah, and I uh, I feel so bad for Mitt Romney in that sense because one, yeah, he's still like a, he, he's more of a you know a mainstream what was a Republican you know up through the eighties and a lot of the nineties you know it's just a, a sensible business Republican mm-hmm. type right and and it's it cracks me up how many if you go to his poor Facebook page he'll post the 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 nicest stuff just like hey we're helping this you know, regional bureau in Utah, get up on its feet. So when Utahns can get to work and then people just, just go off, support the president, you're, rhino. you're a Democrat. I'm like, like, I don't support a lot of Mitt Romney's policy ideas necessarily, but the oh, man, man, he's still is, a Republican yeah, and, and he's a conservative. And, and I promise yeah. you he is. I mean, it's the same thing that goes on with poor John Kasich, who was also just like always been a never Trumper. And everyone's like, get out of here. This article is not just about Mitt Romney though, but it is yeah. about how, whether Latter-day Saints who do we have kind of coalesced around Trump, but we've still been not super yeah. comfortable with him. And what I didn't realize, I looked, I remember that of course, usually a Republican carries Utah yes. quite decisively in a general, in a presidential election, usually, you know, something I've seen like 80 odd percent of the vote. Right. Which is crazy in politics. Trump won Utah, but with like yeah. 35%, he got only right. one with the plurality. Evan McMullen, Evan McMullen played a big role. If you actually would have given all of Evan McMullen's votes to Hillary, yeah. I'm not saying that would have happened. But if you did, Hillary yeah. actually would have won Utah. Yeah, it was a fascinating um, exercise. And I think Mormons in general, and I think that's the point of this article, right, is that Mormons in general are less fond of Trump now than in 2016. They're losing their faith in him. And I'm but mixed I, on that. Yeah. Do you, and, and, I mean, you're, you, Utah's more of a microcosm. Because I feel like at first people were very clearly like uncomfortable with Donald Trump. And now in the past three years, I feel like so many are just kind of cool with it now. And like, well, he's, you know, giving us conservative judges. What can you do? Yeah. But I don't know. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think, I think uh, Mitt speaks for that for uh, Mormon Republicans. And I think there are some who've never been comfortable with him and view uh, some of what he's done as wrong. Don't get me wrong. They're thrilled about his Supreme Court nominees. They're thrilled about, you know, deregulating environmental controls. They're thrilled about so many things that are Republican tenets that they're truly excited about. They're excited to, you know, I think some Latter-day Saints uh, are still excited about locking down the borders, uh, although the church you know, to your point about whether the church is conservative or not, certainly the church's view on immigration aligns much more closely with the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and it's funny because the article has a decent section about one of the, that's one of the key issues that actually makes Latter-day Saints uncomfortable with the president because we are by and large more into the compassion side of border control. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, if, if only for protecting families, uh you know, and and allowing families to sort of get put back together when you have families split across a national border, there needs to be more compassion in those policies. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, this article is worth reading. It's interesting to see someone's perspective on whether, basically, whether Latter Day Saints are going to be the ones that step up and and just say enough is enough amongst Republicans. I don't know what will happen. You know, and and of course, we try not to be we're not endorsing any specific political philosophy or anything on here but i do think we are in such a curious place as latter-day saints as far as being we're not totally monolithic but as a faith group uh we often march to a different beat here and there and we can surprise people so i don't know yeah i don't yeah. know if mitt romney's going to quietly be one to lead a charge and you'll get people like mike crapo kind of getting on board mike lee we know is a lost cause and that's fine but <laughs> yeah, he doesn't seem to be on board with this, which surprises me because the, the politics are essentially the same. I don't think either of them in Utah is at risk of losing their seat if they uh, support an impeachment inquiry. Yeah. Well, at it's, this it's, stage. it's fun to see someone like Mitt Romney, though. He's 
barely come into office. He's got six years there. He doesn't need this either. He doesn't need to be a senator from Utah. Right. He's 70 something years old. I don't think he cares. I mean, he could probably get unelected and be like, well, all right. He doesn't need it. And he may view himself as a one term senator. I don't know if he plans to run again. And that may be dependent on a lot of things, including his health and his wife's health. True. But five years. in the spirit of taking the seat from Warren Hatch, he needs to stay there until he's 117. Yeah, to keep the tradition yeah, going. Keep it, keep it alive. So, anyway, so Mormons to the rescue. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Well, speaking of New York Times, let's go to this other article that you mentioned uh, in the New York Times. This was just today, I think. Um, fresh, yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't quite that fresh. It was yesterday. But it's talking about the film industry here in Utah. Very interesting uh, article that talks about how much of the film industry here is built around. Uh, the church productions and BYU TV and related productions so that it, it, a lot of people are, even though a lot of this work is done not by employees, but people who are contractors of one sort or another, but some of, some people in Utah are essentially earning all of their income in, you know, whether it's building sets, uh, acting, directing, editing, whatever they're doing. And they're large, uh, sets and sites uh, and studios around the state because of this. And the article highlights one that is uh, uh, part of Jerusalem that's out in Goshen, Utah. Yeah, this is talking uh, about, it's talking about the, they highlight the church's production of the new Book of Mormon videos that are going out. So these yeah. are more focused on, you know, of the church for the church, but right. it speaks to the larger filmmaking industry in Utah. Yeah. Yeah, so that that was kind of an interesting thing, you know. I think most Utahns, most Latter Day Saints, uh, would not know uh, most of the facts in this article. So it's very curious, very interesting. Yeah, have you watched any of the uh, Book of Mormon videos? I have not yet. Have, have you? I have failed. I've been excited about this. And I've just totally just not watched them. I'm terrible. Yeah, I need to watch them. You know, we'll we'll get a chance next year, and it'll be great to have that incorporated into our uh, Come Follow Me studies next year. Uh, nothing like a good video to help make Sunday school and our preparation know, right? for it a little more tolerable. Can, can I offer a tangent on Come Follow Me? Yes, let's tang. Um, I've been thinking about this. So we know after conference... You know, they were speaking about some of the changes to youth, and there was a very quick mention of the fact that some of the uh, youth class, so, so you've got their Sunday school classes, but they seem to imply that the actual lessons within young men and young women will also, they said they'll be adjusted slightly, so thematically they follow Come Follow yeah. Me. Okay, so it seems like they're not saying just do the same exact reading, but they're going to kind, they're going to nudge it along that way just a little bit more, which I think is great. Yeah. So with that said, that means the outliers in education in the church are the, is that Elders Quorum and Relief Society are still nothing but conference talks. Yeah. And I do not like this model. Interesting. I, I've never, I never, when they, a few years ago when they changed it and they had, you know, what was it? the first Sunday was the presidency lesson. Then they got, when they got rid of teachings of the president yeah. of the church. And they did two two weeks of conference talks, and the fourth Sunday would be I forgot based on survey no, or something like that. That was, was the, fine for one year. It was like a a, a council. Yes, it was the council. Thank you. Yes, yeah. so so uh, that was that was fine, but I think we're doing ourselves a disservice by simply having conference talks. And I know that if you have uh, effective teaching, if you have people who are passionate about it, you can make a lot out of the assignment from a conference talk and turn the the themes and materials from that conference talk into a bigger lesson about an idea. But by and large, you pretty much show up for elders quorum. And I would say 70% of the time, someone just has you watch the whole talk on someone's iPad or a TV first. And then you discuss it and it's fine, but why don't we just, in Elders Quorum and Relief Society, just do the other week of Come Follow Me? Like right now in our Sunday school lesson, there's two weeks yeah. worth of material that we try to cram in there all the time. Why don't we just like yeah. one week in Sunday school do that week and then the next week have the next week's lesson in Elders Quorum or Relief Society? Because I'm sure we'll have different points of view if it's an all-male or yeah. an all-female audience or and, seen through the lens of your quorum. Why not just do that? Yeah. That's a great question. And there is 
so much more to cover than we can cover in 50 minutes of Sunday school every two weeks. Yeah, there's a lot. I also have a lot to say about the weird hastiness in Elder's Corner. Like what we were concerned when we switched down to two hours of church that um, that we needed the appropriate amount of time to get it done. And so for Sunday school, it's actually when it's a Sunday school Sunday, it's uh, more time than we had before. But for Elders Quorum, it's the same. It's 50 minutes. It's always been 50 minutes, but we decided to get rid of opening exercises and try to like not do announcements. And I know I can be cynical, but I just don't think a solid 45 minute Elders Quorum lesson, unless it's really good, which sometimes it is. Is what we need. I say, yeah, bring I, back I the announcements, and I want to sing hymns with the young men. I want the young men. One of my favorite things growing up as a young man was to hang out with the grown-ups and like sing songs with them and let some of the old guys heckle me. That whole dynamic, you know, and and get to know them a little bit better. And now that's just out the window. Yeah, I just thought I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, I I could. It is interesting. Uh, you're right. I certainly don't yearn for longer lessons in priesthood. <laughs> But uh, that said, uh, our our priesthood lessons, on average, are better than our Sunday school lessons. Uh, ours is the other way around. Our Sunday school lessons are pretty okay, and our priesthood lessons we, we don't. Do you have a reliable teacher at this point? Because we ever since the change, we've just had the presidency is just kind of ad hoc. Had different members of the quorum teach every Sunday. We don't have a called teacher. Yeah, we've been we've been a little bit up in the air lately, but that's partly because we just got a new elders quorum president. Well, it's, which is fair. Uh, I mean, that's normal. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, it's I, I kind of like your idea of just doing uh, come follow me every week, but doing it half the time in Sunday school and half the time in Priest and Relief Society. I think, I think I, that's an interesting an interesting idea that would keep us. It would give us more chances to study the the gospel in in the scriptural context. Well, well, I know it makes sense. I mean, the whole point of this, they say, is so that we're all working from the same material all the time, not to fully correlate every lesson, you know, rigidly all the time for everyone, mm-hmm. but they want us to all be operating from the kind of the same playbook week after week. And if we're going to the length to get the youth on that same wavelength, why would we just continue onward just doing something totally different in our adult meetings, in our quorums and in Relief Society? I don't, yeah, yeah. I, d- I think logically it doesn't make sense to me with everything we're doing in the church. Why would even keep it separate like that? But they, I'm not in charge, as we all know. I just write articles about the fact <laughs> for it being wrong. So uh, a couple quick, a couple quick interstitial mentions for you here. We have seen a rendering of the Layton, Utah temple up there in Davis County, folks. Be sure to hold that up so everyone can see it. Okay, just click on it, Devin. That's how you're going to see it. <laughs> you got to click it. Uh, okay. This is fine. We talk a lot about temples here and we're kind of buffs for temple architecture. And I, I think it's fine. I think it's actually sort of, it's a reasonably generic looking temple as far as temples go, but I like the art deco flourishes on the spires. Uh, anyway, it's kind of cool. It's one of the dual spire designs, like a lengthwise temple with the spires on the one on the front, one on the back. And it, there it is. It's going to be huge too, about 87,000 square feet, very close to the Saratoga Springs temple that was announced recently. And that's great for everyone involved. We don't know when they're going to build it. So uh, 87,000 square feet. That is big, isn't it? It's a good-sized temple. A lot lot of these Utah ones of late have still been pretty sizable. uh, Much more. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think, I mean, Layton, of course, is... Layton's in a populated area, so I guess they'll need it. And and we ran numbers years ago. We ran numbers years ago, and assessed that the Davis-Weber County Corridor, which only has the Bountiful Temple and the Ogden Temple, we sort of ran it against like population and then population you know, per capita Latter-day Saintness and how many stakes they had in the areas. And we realized like that corridor is way underserved in terms of having a temple to shoulder the load uh-huh. compared to somewhere like Utah County, which has far more temples, but there's basically a lot more uh, stakes per capita temple in that region. So yeah. it's good that they're getting a third temple. They clearly need one in the area. And that's probably why it's going to be so large, but man, they are just popping them up in Utah though. I mean, Saratoga Springs is going to have its groundbreaking soon. And, 
and that's right there, you know, right by Lehigh. Yeah. And they got the new temple going up in Taylorsville and the temple going up in Tooele. And whenever that second temple in St. George goes somewhere, that's been kind of quiet on that. Front. Yeah. But you Utahns, man, you just can't we're stop. Getting, we're getting the temples. But the uh, uh, let's jump just to keep moving. But we've got uh, beer at church. Uh, very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure, we yeah. had uh, a beer truck, literally a beer truck crashed and dumped its load in the in a, in a parking lot of a church out in the Sandy Draper area. Very, very exciting. Um, this was this made national news. <laughs> it did. The irony is so thick. Uh, I believe the driver was actually I think the driver was actually seriously injured, though. We're all having a laugh about it. But I heard that he was in pretty bad shape. So I hope the driver is doing okay. Well, KJS says he was transported to the hospital with minor injuries. Well, then I'm let's, let's But I was about to say, pour, I was about to say, pour one out for the driver. But he already did that. <laughs> he did. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm here all week, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good mention. Uh, another quick one, President Nelson, who just, he just, he loves touring the world. Now he's going to go on a global ministry tour. The tour continues to Southeast Asia, everybody. So now President Nelson's been to what he did. He's done Asia. We did the global one when he first started, right? Don, did a circumvent in the globe. He's done uh, the Pacific Isles. He did some South America. I don't think he's done the rest of Asia, right? So Southeast Asia is new. He did, he did India, right? He did some of Asia when he did the first. And one. he's all over. And he's done some Africa. He's, and he's, you know, he's fascinated because he shows no sign of slowing down. The man just, does. you know, he's got the energy of a 72 year old. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's amazing. It's pretty cool to watch. So um, he's going to go to four countries in seven days, trips to Vietnam, Cambodia, Singapore, and Indonesia. And that's going to be in the middle of November. Yeah. Uh, that's going to cover approximately 30,000 Latter-day Saints, four missions, and one recently announced temple, which will, which is to be in Cambodia, whenever that goes down. He'll, and he'll be traveling with Elder Christofferson, who looks very photoshopped in his new portrait. <laughs> you know, another little thing uh, I came across this week is that a uh, time capsule was discovered in the 60s, the 1960s, from a school that was uh, built in 1887. It it was a school built by, uh, I think, the Presbyterians uh, to provide education. Utah's education system, which has frankly never been highly regarded, was especially poor in pioneer era Utah, or let's say pre-end of uh, polygamy era. And so a lot of Protestant faiths built and operated schools in Utah to try to better educate people. And, and in fact, with a, a kind of a missionary message of don't be a Mormon or don't be a polygamist at least. And uh, the schools were quite successful because Utah schools weren't. And uh, so anyway, there, there were a lot. This is one of them. Uh, the time capsule was discovered in the 60s, but never opened. It's been kept, and so now it's it's another fifty years old, older, so about one hundred and thirty years old now, and uh, the community is planning a public opening for the time capsule. Uh, let's see if I can get the date. Um, it will be on Wednesday, the sixteenth. So two days from now, we'll probably air this tomorrow, wow. right? So wow. tomorrow it will be yeah, tomorrow. Probably. Wow. Do you think uh, people are expecting to find the golden plates? No, no. Um, just the rings that held them together. <laughs> no, they're going to find the binding that was the, for the seal right, portion. Right. But everyone's going to say, wait a minute. It's on seal. No, That's another. It'll um, be interesting to see what they had in terms of, I would expect to find interesting writings about polygamy and Utah from the standpoint of residents who weren't believers that that could be I, I believe so incidentally I'm speaking of unsealing the Book of Mormon many have spent the past week uh, pondering what could possibly happen next April in the general conference unlike any other and one of the ones I heard about this week was what if President Nelson 
is going to reveal the unsealed portion of the Book of Mormon. That I don't know why I'm yeah, laughing. That yeah. would be gnarly if it happened. But that's one of that's a newer one that I hadn't thought of. So I think that could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you ever have any? Do you have any thoughts about? I mean, we didn't get to talk on the we talked about it on the conference recap last week. But you and I have an exchange. Yeah. So what, I, do you, what are you thinking? Um. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I'm hoping that we will get a permanent shift that would include a bit more uh, social and cultural activities around general conference um, so that there, are, you know, there's a little more pageantry, a little more celebration outside of the conference sessions. But so there's stuff going on. Uh, like, do you mean, you mean turning it into a, uh, Almost like a festival of yeah, sorts. Yeah, yeah, okay. adding that kind of aspect. But it'll be interesting to see. You know, uh, Mormons have all we've always loved our pageantry, and you know the temple dedications often are associated with big. I'm not sure the church uses the word pageants, but I would use the word pageant to describe the the cultural, you know, the dancing and the things, and you know it's. It's not usually at the scale of the uh, opening ceremonies of the Olympics, but it's that style of an event. It would be interesting to see us have that sort of thing as part of conference uh, over at the Salt Palace uh, or, you know, somewhere nearby. Dude, you know what we should do? We should do a pageant in Palmyra. I've got great ideas. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great idea. Another one I thought about, though, what if we're we bought the Kirtland Temple? Yeah, I, I've always thought that would be a rad thing to do. Uh, I mean, we we don't buy a lot from the Community of Christ. It happens. We purchased Hans Mill from them five or six years ago, and that one's back in our yeah. pocket. But uh, that would be the ultimate feather in the cap. Yeah, I think, I, as far as I think it's certainly possible one day because our church is growing and, and and prosperous, and theirs is not, and so. Uh, but I think they would probably. Oh, we just and we have the resources. I mean, I don't think it. Yeah, I have to imagine they've asked them many times over the years. That's got to be an ongoing yeah. lobbying effort to get it. But back. you know that our church would pay almost any price, and uh, they, at some point uh, they'll come to a meeting of the minds. Uh, you know, someone like a John Huntsman will step up and say, "Okay, I'll give you a billion dollars." And they'll say, wait, uh, I can't pass up a billion dollars because that will fund the operation of our little church forever. Um, I don't think we'd offer up a billion dollars. I mean, the the Kirtland Temple. A a rich donor like a John Huntsman would. Probably. I mean, I imagine the market value of the Kirtland Temple, taking aside all the cultural implications, is what? Like literally, if you were to just buy that building outright, would it even crack a million dollars? Oh yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. I in think rural Ohio. Okay, maybe I would. I would say if the church offered five million dollars, that's a generous offer for the Kirtland Temple. I think that's fine, but I think it's important enough to us we could spend what we do spend on temples, which would be twenty to thirty million. Easy. Yeah. Well, uh, folks, we talk about news. We're a news show, and many of you who get news might get it from the church's newsroom. And I just want to make you all aware of some changes that have happened recently as part of the church's efforts to realign, restructure, de-Mormon things, all that stuff. Um, and so what is happening is that the newsroom, the church newsroom remains, it exists. Okay. But effective now, the church newsroom, Facebook and Instagram accounts have been merged with the church's main Facebook and Instagram pages. Okay. Not groups. So those, if you, and if you know how Facebook works, there's pages and there's groups. So there's no more newsroom page, which is a, which means the public facing institution where it's top down, you share stuff out and get it done, which is interesting because that's a common way to, you know, share news, press releases and what have you. So they say that uh, those accustomed to and interested in receiving comprehensive breaking church news can now join the church's official Facebook news group. Okay. So now it's a group. And when it's a group, that means if you're a group member, you can post stuff to the group. So you control this thing all day long and have a blast if you wanted to, I guess. Um, The church's official Facebook page will be devoted to inspirational content and other uh, high-level news. And I don't know where the line exactly will be drawn on that. I tried to sort of parse it out before General Conference. It seems like temple announcements, for example, are not coming from the church's main page. 
Uh, that's coming from the newsroom group. It seems that Facebook, the church's page is devoted mostly to like messages from apostles. Yeah. Like that. So uh, it, it's interesting because you can control groups, but also you can't. But also they're getting rid of Instagram and the Twitter presence. That's what's interesting to me because at least Facebook is maintaining this page. So if you're on social media and you want to get breaking news at that level from the church newsroom, you can do it on Facebook. But as far as I know, there's no way to get it now on Twitter or on uh, Instagram. Interesting. Because, because they've just folded those in completely and there's no analog to that. So it's not a huge deal for a lot of people, but yeah, yeah. there you go. It's just they've, they've tweaked that a little bit. for some Interesting people. to journalists, though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's why they got the Facebook one. Uh, but I guess it means they're not super concerned about uh, chasing after other demographics. I mean, Facebook is famously not used by the youths of the world, right? They, the tr- yeah, I mean, the- nor, nor by journalists. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, journalists are using Twitter primarily. Not that there aren't exceptions, but but almost all journalists have a Twitter account, even if they ignore Facebook. Yeah, and and a lot of youth use Instagram, and we have messed with Snapchat in the past. And I, I'm, I'm guessing the church has abandoned Snapchat. I'm not sure. I haven't heard much about it for a long time. Yeah, who knows? So I don't know. Different strokes, but that's what's happening. I found a really interesting story this week. Uh, just you know, most people have no recollection of this. I I barely did. But back in the during the period of time when the church had a, uh, a prohibition on blacks holding the priesthood and and going to the temple, um, there were protests in the sporting communities. Yeah, uh, and BYU had trouble getting games for probably a decade before the policy changed. And in 1969, 14 black players were kicked off the Wyoming team for protesting. They didn't want to play BYU that year. And you know, the the at, that was really before that movement had gained momentum. And so in subsequent years, Teams refused to play BYU, but in this at that point in the '60s, the players were kicked off. What's interesting about this guy? Uh, let me see if I can grab his name real quick. Uh, Mel, uh, you know, had a son as as he is likely. Mel Hamilton was his. He had a son who grew up and fell in love with Wendell and joined the Mormon Church uh, about nearly 20 years ago. And so this week there was just this story was told, but of course the 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 interesting point was the moment when this man went home to tell his dad that he had joined the Mormon Church and was more marrying a Mormon girl, and his dad's reaction was really interesting. He was he was perfectly happy and content that his son would marry a Mormon, and he wanted he made it very clear. My protest was not against the church; it was against the policy not the church. I'm perfectly happy now that that policy is gone, that you're a member of the church. So I thought that was really quite an interesting little, you know, connection in the present to that history with, uh, with good feelings pretty much all around. That's a good story. I don't know that went down. Yeah. That's a, we'll link to that of course on the website with this episode, everybody. That's a good story worth reading. It's a great, I, I, I was born, you know, a couple of years after the policy was lifted. And I just can't imagine what it was like before that. I mean, I've asked my parents a lot over the years. It's just what was the dynamic in the church that just this whole set of Latter-day Saints was not privy to yeah. the blessings of the priesthood or the temple. It's, it's still unfathomable to me. And I know that according to people like President Oaks, we do not apologize. <laughs> we never will. I did. Or whatever. <laughs> I mean, Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I do too. I, I don't, I don't fully get it. Like, why you'd say why? It's funny because someone unearths another folks quote where he talks about like the importance of apologizing and like admitting error and looking for sources on th- basically going against the whole "don't look up academic things; they will lead you yeah. down diverse paths" and all that. But uh, I just can't imagine. I'm so glad that I've been raised in an era where that that hasn't been an issue. Yeah. And that's not to say that Black Latter Day Saints still do not have different paths to navigate and they do and there's a lot of interesting things that face them you know, but uh, at that when the policy changed uh there was a a group of people of prominent mormons who took out an advertisement condemning the new policy in the in the salt lake tribune 
But my recollection in terms of my personal interactions was that there was uh, overwhelming uh, happiness, <clears throat> happiness over that. Uh, we just uh, we just wept together. It's what we did. We just wept. That's all you can do. Um, that's what I've heard the same thing. There was a great sense of relief. Yeah. Among many. Yeah. And you can see how, how you know, how emotional and raw this still is. You know, even for you, Devin, it's, uh, it's powerful stuff. Yeah. Would you like me to ramble about something nonsensical in order? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a great segue. Please pick a story here. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, We'll wind down here. Uh, everyone, just so you know, the Latter-day Matchmaker is doing something again. If you're not familiar with the Latter-day Matchmaker, it's the successor to the Mormon Bachelor slash Bachelorette. And they're the ones who earlier this year had the, sponsored that LDS millionaire thing that happened. I don't even know what happened with that in the end. I don't know. But either way, they're seeking one very eligible bachelor for special televised events. What they don't disclose is whether televised means public access, whether it just means a YouTube live stream. I mean, television, quote unquote, means a lot of different things. It does. People. Either way, that is happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this week I um, found the oddest thing that came across my desk. Uh, oh, yeah. Let me just, I don't want to extend the show too long, but with that. Uh, there's this YouTube video that got posted, I think just in this last week. It only has like 70 views. I have found no discussion of it online anywhere. But a friend of mine forwarded it to me. Uh, and it is a YouTube video that claims to have figured out the precise date of the first vision, March 26th, 1820. And they picked the date using two independent methodologies, one of which uh, is, I think, interesting and not nonsense, but it was based on the weather. If you take Joseph Smith at his word that it was a beautiful day, uh, we actually have, you know, that people found weather reports that were begun coincidentally in 1820 at military bases around the country. And it was done by a doctor who was trying to use this data to uh, figure out how, you know, to better care for, you know, keep all of the soldiers healthy. And he figured weather might have uh, an impact on that. So it, it, this data was brand new, just started being gathered that year. But we do know as a result of that, the weather every day. And so they were able to pick uh, the nice weather days. And then among those, they narrowed it down and, and sort of concluded it was March 26th. But there was this whole other um, less sensical version. And that was that in the apocryphal book of Enoch, there is a calendaring system that brought forward thousands of years, uh, seems to suggest the same date. But of course, the 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 holes in that methodology are so rampant, you could, in my view, drive beer-laden semi-trucks through them. Uh, so it's an interesting thing. And, and the, the, the real interesting thing to me is the LDS tendency to embrace poorly documented analysis like this that oh, we're seems to be faith-promoting. Yeah. At the same time, we reject uh, thoughtful, well-documented, well-researched things that raise questions about uh, leaders or our history. And uh, that sometimes frustrates me that we we don't, yeah, we're, we're so, you know, so ready to accept sometimes silly things and even unimportant, like knowing the exact date of the first vision. That's it's essential. It's not a saving principle of the gospel uh, in any case. 
That's well, I mean, yeah, we, we suffer a lot from confirmation bias. <laughs> I a lot of this. Yeah, I, I, when it comes to anything faith promoting, right? we're like, yeah, we don't we don't we don't care about the resources. If it promotes our faith, then you know, whoop you do. I mean, it, that went as far as people who fabricated conference uh, stories during general conference talks. Uh, <laughs> it's true. That has happened. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's be a little more rigorous. Yeah. Um, time's winding down. I wanted to bring up. I didn't get to attend this, but last week, Sister Sharon Eubank, who who's of course in the General Relief Society presidency, but is also concurrently the director of Latter Day Saint Charities, was the keynote speaker at the annual fall forum of LDS Earth Stewardship, an organization with which I was not familiar before this. Yeah. This is an organization. This is a group of Latter Day Saints devoted as you might assume, entirely to taking better care of our planet, being responsible stewards of the gift that Jesus has given us, this wonderful earth where we can experience mortality. Um, you can, I mean, their purposes here, of course, you know, increase public awareness and understanding of principles of earth stewardship, publicize exemplary initiatives of Latter-day Saints, partner with the church, promote understanding, engage stakeholders, all that stuff. I just didn't know these people were around. They even used the uh, fan, the square with the circle inside of it, a common motif in temples as their logo. Yeah, they. It's. Uh, I know one of the founders of the organization. Fantastic human being, Soren Simonson. Okay, great guy, great organization. I'm so glad you raised it because I didn't know it until you said it just now. I did not know that Sharon Eubanks had been the speaker. She is a big deal, uh, and I, you know, I think, you know, Latter Day Saints. Latter-day Saints think she's a big deal because she is in the General Relief Society presidency now, but she is a big deal in the world because she runs such an, an important part of the church. Uh, mm-hmm. She has real influence around the world because she's a player. Yeah, she comes ready to deal. All righty. Um, Devin, you get to do one more, then we got to call it. Okay, okay. So uh, let's talk briefly about the new recommend questions. Um, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, you know, the the recommend questions, the new ones, uh, I don't know where else they may have been published, but the Tribune did get a hold of them, ran a great about that. I, great might be subjective. They ran a detailed article comparing the new and old questions. Uh, what what the article doesn't do is to uh, analyze the intent or import of these questions. And I think, uh, you know, that's interesting. (laughs) And uh, so I encourage people to think about it uh, because the implications of some of these questions uh, are, I think, important, uh, like the question about uh, the law of chastity, seems to me to suggest a a more rigorous standard than in the past. Uh, Although I don't understand why, because you know, it's all, you know, answer it yourself kinds of questions. But anyway, it's worth reflecting on. And I would encourage everyone to become familiar with those questions before you go get a a new temple recommend, just so that you're not caught off guard. Um, You know, I I think it's a good idea for people to uh, know. uh, Agreed. Uh, If anybody... I could pile on here, but you know that's it's a whole show talking about these sacrament, the new uh, the new temple recommend questions. If you do want to hear more about it, listeners, our episode last week recapping conference, uh, our panel went in. We went into some more detail about these questions as well, and our thoughts on you know what changed and what's relevant. So heed Devin's counsel and familiarize yourselves with them. You'll be in a better place if you do so. I think that is where we are going to end things this week. Yes, sir. There is always so much to talk about in the world of Latter-day Saint news, uh, like the adoption ring in Arizona, focusing on Mormons, but we will not get to it this week, I'm afraid. We will call it. Uh, I hope that all of you will spend time with Devin and your mark on the world and realize that Devin is trying one person at a time to make the world a better place, which is a lofty goal, but like he's focused on that lofty goal. So my my hat always goes off to him because I don't do things. Yeah, like you do. I sure you do. That. Sure you do. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah, you do. I'm a bureaucrat, basically, so it's a lot of fun. And uh, 
So, anyways, Devin, any, where do you find that? Is it yourmarkontheworld.ru? I'm assuming you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yourmarkontheworld.com is an easy way to find it. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Podcasts, articles, all that good stuff. Devin also writes at Forbes, and you can follow his column there. We hope uh, you will join us on all the places we mentioned at the beginning of this episode. And if you haven't subscribed before, please do. You can join me every week with other wonderful hosts, just like Devin, as we break down the news and enrich your week with our pithy insights into all of these wonderful things, such as Mr. Mac passing away and the sacramental prayers being wrong. Um, everyone, I appreciate taking the time to listen. Devin, thank you very much for being here this week. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. You're a great host. Great to be with you. Always a pleasure. And we hope you all have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to This Week in Mormons. Be excellent to each other.